Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss. A tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. Number cut by Douglas. Down goes Tyson. Hooks in. Right hand shot. Fight fans to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Legendary Night with me, your host, Sean Basto, joined by Johnston Brown to go through this episode as voted for by you, the followers on Twitter and the users of Facebook. This is the tale of Kevin Mitchell versus John Murray from back in 2011. But before we get into the episode, as always, please go and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook as well. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by following us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate and review to get all the latest episodes of our podcast. If you're not on Apple and you're an Android user, you can find us on any good available podcasting app, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, TuneIn, Spotify, Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel, you can find us on there too. So go and find us, rate us, review us, let us know what you think of all these episodes that we're doing. So let's get into it then. This is the tale of Kevin Mitchell versus John Murray from back in 2011. So this is it guys, this is the tale of John Murray and Kevin Mitchell, their epic bout from 2011, what a domestic fight to be talking about, in a poll of some of the best lightweight fights we've ever seen, including Graham Earl and Katsidis, Ivan Robinson and Arturo Gatti, and the other one, I can't even remember, which one was the other one? It was Rosales and Ramirez. Rosales and Ramirez, yes, some of the best fights in the lightweight division that we've ever seen, and this is the one that's come out on top, that people have really wanted to see us record and listen to so we're going to get into it and we're going to do the legendary nights for kevin mitchell and john murray 
this epic fight from 2011, not too long ago. And this is the greatest thing about doing the Legendary Nights, is some of the fights are in very recent memory and ones that we obviously really remember as clear as day. So I'm really excited to be talking about this one because this was a pretty epic night for, for British boxing fans as a whole. So as always, we're going to cover off the Legendary Nights episode by going into a little bit of their careers leading up to this particular fight. We'll go into the build-up to the fight, we'll go into the breakdown of the fight and we'll also cover off the aftermath and what it meant for both men in their respective careers as always. Let's start then. We'll start with John Murray. John Murray, obviously Manchester fighter, so he's well known to myself. I've watched him progress throughout his career uh, in the early 2000s as he worked his way up through the lightweight ranks and... You know, for me, John Murray was one of them fighters where I felt like he was always going to go on to win a world title. He was always going to do something great in the sport. Uh, Unfortunately, obviously, that never happened, as we know, and as we'll talk about later on down the line. But I really enjoyed watching his career progress throughout the mid to late 2000s as he started to pick up the British title. And I think one of the most significant fights I remember him being involved in was probably... The, the the fight with John Thaxton in 2009 where he was fighting for the, the vacant British lightweight title and John Thaxton was a guy who'd been around for a long time at this point, obviously John Thaxton was a guy who Ricky Hatton had previously fought and had a war with in the early 2000s as well, so to see him still around at this point and still giving people problems was was quite, quite amazing to be honest with you that this guy was still as tough as old boots but yet he went in there with a guy like John Murray who was this up and coming fighter who was the guy that was looking to to really make his statement on the lightweight division and he did so John Murray by stopping John Faxton within four rounds and for me then that is where the 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 Murray train really started to pick up then from this point onwards yeah yeah completely um obviously moved on to to Gary uh, Buckland as well for the uh, where we retained the British lightweight title and also won the uh, vacant European lightweight title. It was a really good scrap, actually. Um, really good fight. If it, I advise anyone that has to go back and watch it. It was a good fight for as long as it lasted up to the 11th round, which was a stoppage win for Murray. Um, he was able to, to finally keep that Lonsdale belt, um, uh, which, which basically he, he probably... Well, he, he, he had a British title against uh, Scott Lawton. Um, he, was, he actually came in overweight for that, so... Well, he actually fought Lawton before the Faxton fight, a fight for the British title, which he had originally. Um, and uh, that's why he ended up fighting Faxton for the vacant title, because obviously he's been overweight. And um, they don't obviously allow you to fight for titles when you come in overweight. They were actually fined uh, 1,500 quid as well uh, by the British Boxing Board. Um, anyway, he obviously he won, he won the vacant title, which was, was his against Faxton. The, the Buckland fight was, as I said, it was a really good fight. And, and he managed to uh, pick up the European title as well, which which moved him on from, from the domestic side of things uh, because he cleared up domestically. Um, he was definitely the one of the best lightweights out around uh, at the time. Um, and he clearly and evidently he held all the titles. So, you know, moving into the European scene when he when he fought um, the Ukrainian, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, um, but um, yeah, Murray basically wore him down and was starting to, it looked like that the potential was going to be, he will become a world heavyweight champion at some point. 
Uh, well, heavyweight, world lightweight champion. <laughs> yes, good old John Murray, <laughs> the world light, world heavyweight champion. <laughs> uh, no, no, you're right. Obviously, the Gary Buckland, <laughs> the Gary Buckland fight was brilliant. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the Gary Buckland fight. And obviously, when he picked up that European title at this point, as I was saying earlier, you start seeing progress through the ranks, and you think to yourself, this guy is going to go on to be a future champion in this particular division. And obviously, he then beat. Uh, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Andre could Yatsev. I don't know if have got that name completely wrong so Kudyatsev he beat Kudyatsev and then defended his European title and then again went to the York Hall in early 2011 and defended his title for the second time against Kareem El Uzgari unanimous decision against Uzgari and then that set up nicely for what was this epic night which is the Kevin Mitchell fight so Kevin Mitchell's career again he's another guy who was more probably been known to yourself being from that neck of the woods where he was from but I didn't really pick up Kevin Mitchell until I'd say around sort of 2006 that was on when I first started to see him on the scene then I think he was getting for me he was getting more exposure mainstream at this point and I was getting to see more of him you know I remember back in this time as well there wasn't a lot of social media platforms around there was no Facebook there was no Twitter you know it was it was other things that was around at the time things like MySpace and and Bebo if anybody remembers that in the UK and the USA you know these were the types of things that were around at this time so you didn't really get a lot of chat between one another. You'd only really pick stuff up from checking reputable boxing websites on the internet or the Boxing Monthly or Boxing News or Ring Magazine and it would only be if they'd feature these fighters in there. So I only really started to pick him up from watching him on the undercards of bigger fights and when I started to see Mitchell progress throughout the Super featherweight division I started to realize that this guy you know has got something special and throughout 2006 he was doing really really well he was going in there with a number of different names from all over the world some of the names on his record I won't even try and pronounce because again really really difficult names to pronounce without making a meal of it but when he moved into 2007 and 2008 I think this is where most of the mainstream audience started to pick up on Kevin Mitchell's career. And there was one fight in particular on the 8th of March 2008 against Carl Johansson. And it was for the Commonwealth Super Featherweight title and the British Super Featherweight title. Yes, it was a cracking against Carl Johansson. Um, I think he actually won the British Fight of the Year. Um, it, was, uh, it, it, just, it was just constant. It was good action. Um, and uh, Mitchell, obviously, you know, he was... He was a left-handed orthodox fighter, which is a bit like sort of Ancoto and Hagler and De La Hoya. So, and he was a sort of he, he, he had a, a great boxing ability. Um, you know, he had good footwork, good head movement, um, and, and a great selection of shots. And and he was always tipped to be a, a very you know a world champion, a bit like John Murray. Um, but you know, I, I felt that I think a lot of people felt that Kevin Mitchell. He was just—he he was only showing spells of what he could potentially achieve, and people felt that he was gonna—he was gonna be pushed on and, and be a, a world-class operator because you know his skills um, showed that. And obviously, you know, the Cole Johansson fight was a great fight for Mitchell to come through. Um, he broke his jaw apparently in the sixth round, uh, but managed to go on and stop Cole Johansson in the ninth. And and even Mitchell to this day still says that Cole Johansson Johansson is the hardest punch he's ever fought. Uh, interestingly, so. Yeah, that was, that was a great fight. One, definitely. If anyone wants to go back and have a look and watch that fight, because it is a, an excellent fight. Um, and obviously, he moved on to fight um, Walter 
Yorkshire, which was the first time he had fought it outside of Britain. He actually fought on the Bulldog Hall in Atlantic City uh, for the WBO vacant, uh, for the vacant WBO Intercontinental Superweight title. One of the ABC belts. But uh, it was on the uh, public Gary Lockett undercard as well, or you know, on the same card, I should say. And yeah, so he, he obviously won that, and he was moving along nicely. And, and, and he, as you know, when he came back to York Hall. He actually moved up to light, light well uh, to lightweight when he fought. Um, I'm just going to say Wilson because I don't know his first name, but he's a Ghanaian fella. Um, and, and he'd done even three rounds. Um, and then obviously moving on to the to the Breedis Prescott fight, which was the one that people always say was probably Kevin Mitchell's one of Kevin Mitchell's greatest performances. Yeah, they do say it was one of his greatest performances because of the fact that Brady's press got absolutely obliterated Amir Khan within a round. So he was this big danger man, you know, the way they threw Amir Khan in there to the wolves essentially against Prescott, people were thinking, oh, this is a risky fight to take. And this was only a year later that he fought Kevin Mitchell. He beat Amir Khan in 2008, dropping him and stopping him in the first round. And then he went on to, to face Miguel Vasquez and lost a split decision to Vasquez and then came back over to the UK to Newcastle to fight Kevin Mitchell. So obviously people remembered what had happened to Khan in the fight a year earlier. And obviously people were going, well, this is a risky fight to take for Kevin Mitchell. But a lot of people who knew Kevin Mitchell knew that this was going to be a fight that he could win quite handily with his boxing ability. And that's what he did actually go on to do. And it was one of his best performances. And I remember the fight fondly because I remember thinking to myself, if he gets caught, he's going to get stopped. He's going to get hurt. But the way he just completely took away everything that Brady's Prescott had... To do that was was you know amazing for me. I thought it was a brilliant performance, and also that particular night was a brilliant night for boxing because on the same card you also had Amir Khan and Dimitri Salita. Amir Khan blew away Dimitri Salita for the WBA super lightweight title at that time as well. On the same card you also had guys like Tony Bellew in his 12 pro fight, Billy Joe Saunders in his fifth pro fight, Enzo Macronelli, Frankie Gavin, James DeGale, Stephen Smith, you know Alex Arthur even as well. This was an absolute stack card and I do remember the card and I do remember the night very fondly because it was remembered for the fact that Khan had won the world title and also the fact that Brady's Prescott got absolutely handled by Kevin Mitchell. He did. It was, it was a really polished performance from Kevin Mitchell and, you know, I, I felt that it was going to be the catalyst to push him on to the world stage. Um, you know, he, he was looking at, you know, he, the title was in the horizon, that title fight. Um, um, so, we obviously, he got rid of uh, Mendoza after Prescott um, at Wembley Arena. Um, in a third round knockout, uh, retaining his WBO Intercontinental lightweight title. Um, obviously, Frank Warren was thrown by the fact that it's a WBO title that he was chasing at the time. <laughs> he loves, he's got a great uh, connection with him. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it moved in to to take the fight against Michael Katsidis. It was at the Bowling Ground. He's a West Ham fan and a big deal for Kevin Mitchell. But um, he, he, you know, it's well documented now that. Um, I think the pressure got to him, um, and he was—he had a lot of distractions outside the ring with his with his wife, and, he, and uh, sort of they were going from a split and other bits that were happening in his life, um, and, and he sort of went into a downward spiral. And this was before one of the biggest fights of his career, of the West Ham faithful, which um, which is crazy, really, that that, that, that it happened. Um, I mean, it's rumoured that he blew 180 thousand in nine months just on booze alone. Um, he was—he was just. I don't know. He, he went into that to 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 in a bad position, a bad place. So obviously going into the Captain Diaz fight, he wasn't in the best 
of Nick, um, clearly, um, and you could see that he was, he was done in three rounds. He's blasted away. Um, many felt that it was stopped a bit early. Watching back on it again, um, I don't think it was. I think you could see that it was going to be inevitable that eventually he was just going to get knocked out and it's just silly letting that, that happen. And they'd lost the longest unbeaten run in British history as well, which because he was 31 and 0 going into that fight in front of the West Ham faithful. And then obviously after that defeat, the booze carried on uh, and, he, and he continued to, to hit the booze. Nothing, he didn't do nothing for nine months apart from drink. And uh, he'd come out and said that. Um, recently as well, um, so you know it was a shame for him. He was he was obviously in in a bad way. He was depressed, um, and you know he weren't in a good fit position to to fight at that time. So um, so and that was how he was leading up to the to the John Murray fight. But obviously things changed um, after the Katzegis fight, and um, I think it, if I believe. He, he just he, he got himself the, the chance for John Murray, so I'm John Murray, and he got himself off the booze and got himself in good condition and done a long camp for a good sort of nine months, or whatever it was, and um, which made him ready for the John Murray fight. Yeah, the Cassidy's fight. Just going back to that, I, I again remember that night as well. I remember thinking to myself, he didn't look right coming into the ring for that particular fight, and I really wanted him to win the Cassidy's fight because this was obviously a big fight for him. Because if you look on what he was doing at the time, he was pushing on to that world title level this was actually for the interim WBO world lightweight title and winning that fight would have pushed him on for a world title shot pretty much immediately so the Katsidis fight so he goes in there doesn't look himself gets blown away in three rounds and then like you say goes away into the abyss goes into a bit of a deep depression drinking just doing what people do when they get in that state, drinking, gambling, whatever else, going through, obviously, tumultuous time in his own personal life at this point. And people just completely wrote Kevin Mitchell off, I think, at this point. And then when the call was made to fight John Murray in July of 2011, that was the motivation he needed. He needed a big fight against a fellow domestic fighter who was undefeated. He was 31 fights in, undefeated. He was going to be going on to World Honours, and this was the exact motivation he needed to get himself into shape for this particular fight. So it, it leads us nicely in, really, to the build-up for this particular fight. This was billed as the North versus the South. Of course, it was Manchester versus London. It was a typical, going back to the whole sort of football scenario, it was a typical North versus South situation where you get the best teams of the North versus the best team of the South, of course. And this was the best boxers of the North versus the best boxer of the South. And it was it was really, really good. I was really looking forward to this fight. The build-up alone really sold it for me because... I was a John Murray fan, but I was also a Kevin Mitchell fan, regardless of the fact John Murray was obviously from my hometown of Manchester and had supported him for a long time. I really liked Kevin Mitchell and I really liked what he was doing in the ring. And for me, this was this was a big, big match. And both men you know, knew that this was a make-or-break fight for them, really. If, if, if they go in there and win this fight, they're going to go on to bigger and better things, but the loser's going to have to go by, right back down the pecking order and start all over again. I think that I win. I think I win by KO as well. Uh, Kevin's only had two fights at lightweight. One was his good performance about against Brady's Prescott, and uh, the second was Katsidis. But it was a pressure fighter, very similar to myself, and he lost that by KO. Um, I'm a very good pressure fighter, and uh, I'm just looking forward to the fight and getting in there and uh, taking care of business. 
you know, the victories that they both had under their resumes at this point made it even more intriguing. The fact that Mitchell had moved up from the super featherweight division, having great fights with guys like Johansson, as we said, moving up to the lightweight division, having a handily performance against Brady's Prescott. Losing that fight to Cassidy's made people feel like this was going to be John Murray's night. Murray essentially was the favourite going into this particular fight, but there was no love lost between these two at all. This was a case of these two guys making the intentions to state their case, to go in there and show their skills and go on to bigger and better things at the fight. I really, really enjoyed the build-up for this particular fight. I really enjoyed the hype between them. Obviously, you all, you always had, you know, both guys at the time had brothers that were in boxing. We had, obviously, John Murray, who had Joe Murray, who was also a decorated amateur and a professional at this point. And then, obviously, we had Kevin Mitchell and his brother, who unfortunately recently passed away earlier on this year, who was also a fellow professional at this point in time as well. So it was quite an interesting build-up to the fight, and I remember it quite well you know a lot of words said between him in press conferences and there was respect there between them but there was also a side of both of them where it was like you know I know I can go in there and do a number on you. John's another brilliant fight in Britain you know the two best in Britain and I know and everyone knows it's like it's a, it's a wanted fight as in my, my ticket sales already just gone mad already as soon as it was released it was fighting my ticket sales my phone was ringing don't everyone, everyone wants it so proven but yeah I've wanted to fight John for a long while and it's now we're here and this could be happening. Yeah I think I think they both believe that they were capable of uh, cementing their status as the best lightweight in Britain at the time because that's what this was uh, with the winner potentially going on to, to fight for a world title. It wasn't class as an eliminator, but that was the feeling you, you had surrounding it. Uh, Mitchell obviously sort of coming back after all those problems and he, he considered it to be his last chance saloon and, and he had the one loss on his record. So this for him was, it was a spring ball to push back in, back, put himself back into contention. Um, Whereas Murray, uh, which was interesting, um, Obviously, this, this wasn't a part of the build of such, but you know, for one, Murray, he vacated the European belt in order to fight Kevin Mitchell. Um, I mean, the rumour has it is that, that, that Joe Gallagher wasn't too... You know, he, he didn't really fancy it, to be honest. That's, that's what you hear from John Murray himself. Um, whereas Joe Gallagher said, actually, no, this, you know what, fine. Um, this, this is a good fight. This is a good, a good way of him getting noticed. I'm really pleased um, that everybody didn't phone him up for a night out and uh, they've allowed him to uh, get in shape because he does have to be in the best shape of his life for this fight. I'm known for having a drink in between fights, but that's in between fights when it comes down to training hard for fights. Uh, you know, I've done it many times before and then it can be boring saying it every weekend, but it's not hard. So that was, it was it, already there was, it was a problem, um, I felt in a way, uh, not obviously not at the time, but sort of looking into the, digging into this uh, sort of the build up surrounding it. And Murray was, he prepared himself for a 12 week training camp for this fight. Um, and uh, Gallagher basically had Matthew Macklin as well. And there was problems where Murray reckoned, well, this is what he said, is that he didn't feel that Joe had much interest, he was more interested in Matthew Macklin, who was ready to fight in Germany. And basically there was a problem. Um, whereas Gallagher on the other hand reckons that the, the 12 week training camp went well when he was in good shape and ready for the fight so there it, it was, it was problems in camp basically um, and then um, sort of I think it was in Germany two weeks before the fight when uh, the, the big problem happened when John went off on, on the piss basically and that's what Joe says and John even admits himself to go out on the piss in Germany um, and that didn't help their situation even more and the fight was actually put back a week between Mitchell and Murray and, and Joe Gallagher said he felt that that was good because he could get Murray in good, good, good position where he's ready for the fight and, and John on the other hand he reckoned he didn't feel 
too great and felt a bit deflated and, and weren't really up for it and he felt like he had a poor training camp so I, I don't know it, it, it's all you know this is what you hear afterwards but this is the build up this is the situation whereas on the other hand Kevin Mitchell He's now changed his life around. He's now the guy that's clean, hasn't drunk for a while. He's dedicated to training. It's his last chance alone. So it made it really interesting. Although it wasn't exposed to the public, but obviously in-house and looking back on it now, as we're able to do, it made it even more interesting about where both men were at at this time as they, before they stepped in that ring against each other. But let's just take a little pause for one moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for BTR Boxing Podcast. It's Bear Attack Boxing, providing high quality boxing gloves, boxing equipment to your suitable needs. You can find them at www.bearattackboxing.co.uk and all over social media. You've got the Fight Pro One gloves, the Pluto gloves, the new Bear Attack Boxing t-shirt range, the inner gloves, the hand wraps, some great boxing products on there. So go and check them out. And also, we've got a little present for you. Because you're a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, we've got an exclusive discount code for you. Now, it's a 10% discount. And all you've got to do is when you're at the checkout and you've got them boxing gloves and that t-shirt in there that you want to buy, go onto the promo code and enter BTR10 for 10% off. And 10% is not something to be scoffed at in this day and age. It can definitely get you a few quid off them high-quality products that Bear Attack Boxing are selling. So, as a loyal listener to BTR Boxing Podcast, when you buy or purchase something through Bear Attack Boxing's website, in the promo code, enter BTR10, and you will get an exclusive 10% discount off your basket. So, please, go and take advantage of it. Follow them on social media, Bear Attack Boxing, and it's bearattackboxing.co.uk. Well, in the lead-up to, to the fight, and obviously, press conferences they were both obviously polite to each other beforehand but quoted coming from the press conferences that happened at the time Murray believed that Mitchell Style was going to suit him for the fight and said that as far as he was concerned this is my last domestic hurdle before I move on to world level Kevin and I have always been destined to meet and now is the right time and Mitchell's response was whenever we've been in the same room as each other we've been polite but it's time for that to stop this fight is just around the corner and I've got my fight head on now. When I get in that ring, I'm going to rip John Murray apart. He's standing between me and a world title fight and I want to knock his head off. I plan to be throwing bombs as soon as that first bell goes. I've never been in better shape and I'm so far ahead of where I was going into the Cat Seedies fight. So the war of words came into fruition in fight week and they were all ready to go. But it was very interesting when you were talking about what John Murray was talking about retrospectively. Obviously, that was an interview that he'd conducted with Trish Dixon for the the Boxing Life Stories podcast, of course. And it was really interesting to hear John talk about this fight and the build-ups of this fight. And... No, it doesn't surprise me, some of the stuff that he was talking about. Not that I'm trying to discredit Joe Gallagher as a trainer as sorts, but, you know, as a trainer, when you've got so many fighters and quite a few of them are at a certain level where they're pushing on for world honours, which is what Macklin was doing at the time, going to face Sturm in Germany, John Murray's training camp was affected. And I do believe that there's an element of truth to, to, to them statements. And obviously, they're both trying to save face by... You know, one denying it and one saying this was the case, and unfortunately, they had a not so amicable split as a result uh, of all this and the the aftermath of, of of this particular fight. You know, John Murray would would end up going to to move on 
later on down the line. But for for this particular fight, the the fact that he was underprepared for this fight, and the fact that Mitchell was the guy that was underprepared for his big fight against Katsidis, it's like the tables had essentially turned now. So John Murray was going into the biggest fight of his career, not prepared 100% how he wanted to be. And in hindsight, you, you'd think to yourself, well, maybe you should just pull out of this fight, but... It's so difficult when you're in a position where all the TV rights have been done, contracts have been signed, uh, tickets have been sold, so many different factors to, to a fight actually not taking place. And they decided to obviously go ahead the week uh, that it was given extra as it was put back was a massive help, obviously, to get John Murray into shape. And it, it was going to prove evident on the night, looking back on this fight, and going into to, to the breakdown of, of the particular fight, it was going to prove evident that the preparations, or lack of preparations, John Murray said he had in the lead-up to this one, was going to become evident as the fight started to wear on. So, the fight itself then, Johnston. Let's start with it. Let's talk about it. Let's go into what was one of the best domestic lightweight fights we have ever seen in Britain. Well, a partisan crowd... And this, Jim, a contest that I've been looking forward to since the moment it was made. On paper, it could be one of the fights of the year. Yeah, you have to expect this to be brutal. Some people expect Kevin Mitchell to get on the move the way he did against Bredis Prescott. I don't know if that's in his mind. I think he fancies he can blast Murray out of there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a good start, literally, from the off. Um, Murray was, every, you know, Murray's style was head down. Uh, march, march you down and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard on the inside and eventually I'm going to get you and put you away and that was how he started the fight he was walking Mitchell down but you know Mitchell was moving well um, he was landing good combinations before moving danger throwing that left uppercut uh, landing on on bang on point at some point and working the body as well so, so that was round it was Murray chasing Mitchell around the ring and Mitchell showing that you know, showing off his boxing skills and, and his elusiveness and, and how he could throw a, a great range of combinations and be out of trouble. Um, he was throwing the jab well. Um, so, so it was more, it was literally just Murray trying to get to Mitchell, but Mitchell being able to, to keep him off uh, with, with punches and good movement. And that was basically how the first round went. Um, so it was moving to the second round quickly. I mean, it was pretty much the same. Um, it wasn't until Murray landed a big right hand halfway through that round that actually Mitchell was clearly hurt uh, and then spent most of the time on the ropes allowing Murray to finally unload on him. Murray's taking big punches that he can't afford to do. That's a good right hand. Bang on the chin from Murray. That's, his best, that's his best punch of the fight so far, John Murray. But he senses that. He went right down to the boots of Mitchell. But he's now regrouped. He's back up on his toes. How much lasting damage now has been inflicted by that? That's definitely Murray's best punch so far. So that second hand, it turned pretty quickly and... John Murray showed his power with that big right hand and, and although Mitchell took it, he clearly hurt him because, you know, as I say, he backed into the ropes and wasn't agile, wasn't moving out of danger as he was in that first round. But so it was a pretty even start. I'd give him a round each um, and, and it was, you could see the styles where Mitchell in the first round was able to keep out of range and then Murray landing that big shot and him putting his putting his stamp in the fight in that second round. And, and it, it was a good, good start to the fight. And, and it, it just, it, you know, it, it pretty much constant 
throughout the rest of the fight. But yeah, a good first two rounds anyway. It was a good first two rounds. He started off quite at a frantic pace and both men had said in the build-up, as we spoke about a few minutes ago, that they were both going to come out and throw bombs from the off. You know, John Murray's style was, was very much a Joe Gallagher-esque style of, of how he trains some of his fighters. Uh, you look at Anthony Crawler in his style and, and that's very shades of, of the Anthony Crawler style that he adopted later on in obviously his career uh, to eventually go on and win a world title himself but the way Murray's hands were held up high going in just throwing the bombs trying to work the body trying to work the head and obviously in that second round when he caught Mitchell with a big right hook obviously then Mitchell had felt the power of Murray and backed up a little bit and as you said he you know needed to weather the storm needed to make sure his head was totally clear and his legs were were back under him but you know it was one of them early exchanges that for me was going to set the set the scene of the fight you're thinking to yourself you know this is going to go the way that people are expecting it John Murray's going to come in there uh, and do a little bit of a number on him but Mitchell going into to, to the third and the fourth rounds he's starting to sense that he's being dragged into this toe-to-toe brawl and actually boxing Murray is not going to be the way to beat him in this particular fight. The way to beat him is going to be to stand toe-to-toe with him, which sometimes isn't the greatest of advice to go in there and stand toe-to-toe with somebody who's who's exceptional at doing that. But what he actually started to do is he started to move around the ring, started to box a little bit more behind his jab. Uh, but as he started to do that, Murray's starting to close the ring off and catch up with him and catching Mitchell with several hard shots. And Murray started to carry on that trend he continued to be the aggressor in the fourth round landing more punches but Mitchell was the one that was picking the punches he was the one that was landing the quality shots so whilst he wasn't landing as much as what it may look like in the fight if you watch back that fight and you look at what actually gets through and through the gloves and lands cleanly Mitchell's punches actually land cleaner than what John Murray's do John Murray's are, are, are more sort of not glancing blows but blows that are landing on arms and elbows and you know Mitchell's cover up well and you know even though he's the one that's on the back foot in this round he's the one that's actually timing and picking the punches so so well and that's starting to to sort of take effect going into the to, to the fifth round because the pace and the volume of the punches are starting to take its toll on on Mitchell in particular because Murray's then starting to keep that pressure on and although Mitchell was landing the cleaner shots Murray was the one that was you know he was just like he was he was what he says his name was his nickname his moniker is the machine so he was you know he was the one that was coming in there and 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 using that engine that he had to try and break down and wear down Mitchell in this particular fight but Mitchell Again, you know, we were still throwing, we're still picking, we're still quite accurate with his shots in this fifth round, but John Murray was still coming forward. So you think to yourself at this point, what's it going to take for Mitchell to stop Murray in his tracks? Yeah, absolutely. Everything Mitchell was throwing at Murray, he literally threw him, didn't he? Um, although, as you say, you know, Mitchell was, was showing a more variety range of, in his punches, you know, those three fast uppercuts he, he threw it in the fourth round, uh, but Murray again just to keep marching forward and he applied good pressure throughout the third, the fourth and the fifth um, the one thing you noticed in the fifth was that Murray's right eye was beginning to swell um, and it was due to those upper cuts for Mitchell and Hooks um, that basically it was a telltale sign that you know, he, he was hurting Mitchell was marking up anyway whereas, whereas Murray was coming forward but, you know Mitchell sort of 
although he's, he's under constant pressure, he's, he's still able to, to land some big clean shots, as you were saying, Sean. And, and, and Murray, you know, he, he was always looking, you know, at the end of the day, the, the right hand was always going to be the shot for him. But, you know, he did use the head a lot. And Joe Gallagher, again, he mentioned after the fight that, you know, he did try to tell um, Murray to, to, to work the body uh, and to look rather than just headhunt all the time. Um, but Murray went out straight headhunting. So, Straight away, there's a problem in the corner as well in terms of the instructions he's getting and what he's actually going out to do because Murray in his head felt he's just going to get rid of Mitchell because eventually he's going to wear him down. And it was, it was starting to happen slightly, especially sort of going into the fourth and the fifth. But, but because of the eye, this is where the problem started to happen. And, and it was actually the sixth round for me when it was a clear Mitchell round um, and Mitchell was just looking fresher. He was finding his range and it, it was just, he looked really good in the sixth round. I think it was a dominant display from him. Um, and it was the first time that when Mitchell did land, it actually put Murray back on his heels. And finally, Murray was starting, you know, those, those shots were starting to take effect and he was unable to keep marching Mitchell down. Um, I mean, he put it down to fatigue later on, Murray, because he just didn't train well enough. Um, so you could see that going into that sixth round. Yeah, in that sixth round, I think that's where Mitchell's head started to clear a little bit you know he'd taken a lot of shots from Murray but he was still in there he was still throwing his own he was still holding himself in the fight and as you were just talking about there John Murray started to to wean a little bit in terms of his stamina in terms of the fact that he'd obviously I was coming up a little bit there as well and he was reduced to fighting in short bursts rather than the all-action style he'd adopted in the previous rounds so Mitchell at this point starts to use the lateral movement more. He starts to go to a bit more of a sort of box and run game plan that had actually served him really, really well in his best performance against Brady's Prescott. So as that, as he's doing that, Murray's the one that's kind of chasing him down the ring and Murray's the one that's, you know, the stamina's starting to wean, like we said at this point, and you can see he's starting to get visibly more tired and, you know, for Kevin Mitchell, he's growing in confidence now because he's throwing several accurate combinations and then in the seventh, he landed a huge right-hand-left uppercut combination that rocked Murray to the core and it was only the bell that saved him in that seventh round from being stopped. Murray looks as though he maybe went in with the head on the blind side of the referee. Good uppercut, lovely uppercut from Mitchell. And Murray looks a little bit disorganised, a little bit wobbly. Is Mitchell now going to step in and look to try and take John Murray out? Left hand as well. Anxious times for John Murray. And the, the bell comes. And that was a big round for Kevin Mitchell. And John Murray, after seven rounds, is really in dangerous territory. Fantastic little round in that seventh. One of the greatest rounds uh, of that particular year where... Kevin Mitchell seemingly had turned the fight around from being the one who looked like he was going to get stopped earlier on in the fight to the one that was going to go on and look like he was going to stop John Murray in that seventh round. Brilliant seventh round, that. Really, really good seventh round. And, and that, that uh, was a peach, wasn't it? A peach of a shot from Mitchell that left up a cut that, that wobbled Murray um, right at the end of the round. And you could see, you know, that he was tired and he'd taken a big shot. And you're sort of thinking, you know, that eye was beginning, that, especially the right eye was beginning to close. Um, but the left eye was also marked up as well, so he was, he was in a bit of a mess down into that seventh, down into the eighth round. So he's sort of in the break, and you could see him trying to iron out, iron out that that right eye, and try to get it open because it was basically shut closed. And Mitchell was, he could, he was full of beans, and he? he was, he was, he was energetic. He was, he could, he could sense that the fight was there for the taking for him. Um, so when he came out for that eighth round. 
He um, he continued his assault on Murray, who was clearly tired, but he was brave, um, but he could barely see, and he was just basically fighting on instinct. And this is where, for me, the eighth round was just as good as the seventh, where you know Murray's in all sorts of trouble, but then he can't see out of his right eye. He's gradually losing sight in the left, so he's literally just throwing shots and just hoping they land. And one did landed beautifully, wonderfully timed shot on Mitchell, which rocked Mitchell. And you're thinking, oh my God, is this fight gone back? the other way again is, is Murray now going to put the pressure on Mitchell and get rid of him um, but you know Mitchell was clever he held on and then uh, yes yeah, so, so the referee allowed you know it, 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 was, it was in those situations where you, you're thinking is, is Murray going to put him away and then obviously it's, it's a great beautifully timed left hand from Mitchell that put Murray down in the eighth round he gets up to count of about eight uh, referee allows it to continue and then it's a combination from Mitchell which basically ends the fight. There's a criticism that he sometimes makes easy fights hard work. Well, this is a hard fight, and both of them. Oh, it is torrid entertainment, oh, and down goes two, Murray. Three, Great shot from Mitchell. Four, five, and Murray six, looks as though he's in real seven, trouble. Has he recovered? Eight, There's blood coming from that right eye. Richie Davis having a very close look. And he allows the action to continue. And Mitchell's trying to finish it. Here and now it's all over. And Kevin Mitchell has proved his point. A first professional defeat for John Murray. And Kevin Mitchell for him. And in his moment of redemption. Atonement for the day. He got it so wrong against Michael Katsidis. Here in Liverpool, he's got it absolutely right. And what a terrific finish to take out John Murray. Should have been probably stopped after the first round, but you know, the referee gave him an opportunity, and, and Murray just took three or four combinations, and, and it was clear to see that you know if it continues, he's going to get knocked out. So, rightly stopped at, at the right time by uh, Davis, the referee. Um, but what a brilliant round the eighth round was! Yeah, it was a fantastic round. The seventh and the eighth rounds, uh, this particular fight, is what makes this fight the reason it won the poll. People remember it so fondly because of how recent it was and the fact that it was such a huge domestic fight for both men at this stage of the career. That eighth round again, you know, it felt like Murray was turning it around. It felt like he was going to actually go and get Mitchell out of there at one point of the round, but then it was when that perfectly timed left landed on Murray and you, that's it he's down it's like oh this 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 is the beginning of the end when I was watching it this for me was the beginning of the end I was like no he's gonna get up but I can't see this lasting much longer and obviously he didn't he got stopped by the referee because another combination went in and it was too much then at this point you know the referee had jumped in and obviously stopped the fight because it was the right thing to do at the time of course and saving Murray for another day um, but what a fight what an absolute war and it's the reason why it was put into the poll it was the reason why people voted for it to, to win the poll because of how good of a fight this actually turned out to be it, you know it turned in from what could have been an easier fight for for Kevin Mitchell and turned into a bit of a, a, a barnstormer, you know, Mitchell not not really having to make it easy for himself like he did against the Brady's Prescott. He actually made it a little bit more difficult for himself, but that was obviously credit to John Murray as well because John Murray's ability to cut the ring off was was fantastic, one of one of the best domestically to have done it. And the way he did it in that fight made it a very difficult night for Kevin Mitchell. But the the, the class and the quality of the punches that were landed from Mitchell was what was telling on the night you know you can go in there with sheer brute strength and and land punches on arms and gloves 
gloves and you know to, to to the body but it's the significant ones that land that are clean that are hurtful and that's what was significant for Kevin Mitchell is that he was the one landing the cleaner harder punches as the fight wore on and that's eventually what broke down John Murray and the referee jumped in to stop it but yeah an absolute fantastic fight one of my favourite fights domestically of all time this yeah it really is a cracking domestic scrap again um it, it was literally to and fro from, from round one. Um, it, it was just a matter of what styles you preferred, really. As well, if you if this had gone the distance, it'd have been quite interesting how the scoring would have went. Because you know, do you prefer the aggressive with Murray sort of putting Mitchell under pressure, but then Mitchell sort of throwing those pot shots? So it, it was a really intriguing style of fight between both fighters, um, and and it was it was great that you know. With Murray sort of taking, in the end, he was beginning to wear Mitchell down and Mitchell coming back in that sixth round and then obviously in the seventh and the eighth, just brilliant rounds. I mean, even the eighth round sort of epitomises the whole fight where you think Murray's in trouble and then he lands that, that right hand on Mitchell and then Mitchell's rocked and then Mitchell comes back and then eventually lands that big left hand that puts him down. Um, it was just to and fro and it was just a, a great fight to watch and it was hard to be potentially going to be a good fight. Uh, I think people felt that this is they had styles that suited each other and this is going to be a good domestic title bust up and it basically was um, and, and you know uh, it, it was it was just great fun to watch and look back on and um, I think domestic title it wasn't it was actually WBA in the continent wasn't it but um, one of them maybe C titles but it doesn't matter whatever was on the line it is it, irrelevant because these guys are always going to put in the show they were going to put in and, and it, was, it was brilliant for us to watch um, and definitely well picked from the pile absolutely so let's move into the final segment of the episode then, the aftermath, what this fight meant for both men. Well, talking about Kevin Mitchell first, he was the victor in this one. He would then go on to fight Ricky Burns and lose to Ricky Burns, which was a bit of a shock defeat, to be honest with you. I weren't expecting him to lose to Ricky Burns the way he did, getting stopped by Ricky Burns in 2012. And the other significant fights that he were involved in were right at the end of his career when he fought Jorge Linares in 2015. Again, another barnstormer with Linares and uh, he absolutely battered Linares for the first few rounds of that fight and this is the same Linares that we've seen in the past couple of years you know really go on to to do some good things and be involved in some good fights in the sport but Kevin Mitchell unfortunately his eye came up too much in that particular fight and he struggled and eventually went on to obviously get stopped uh, by Linares in this particular fight in round number 10 but it was an absolutely cracking fight when that happened as well and then his final fight of his career of course who can forget the fight with Ismael Barroso as well Barroso came over undefeated big puncher Kevin Mitchell one final roll of the dice and again started off really well but then would eventually succumb to the power of Ismael Barroso and made the right decision at this point in time to call it a day but I feel like Kevin Mitchell's one of them fighters who was one of the best British fighters amongst quite a few other names there as well, by the way, to never actually go on to win a world title. I think he's one of them fighters like the Harold Grahams of the world. Kevin Mitchell's another guy who, who could have gone on to win a world title and just never did. Oh, 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 absolutely, mate. Um, he's definitely one of the best British fighters we've had that never won a world title. He had his opportunities. Uh, obviously, the, the Ricky Burns fight, I think uh, Burns was a bit too big for him on the night, to be honest. And I think he... I was surprised, though. I was expecting to be more of a competitive fight, but Burns got rid of him. Um, it was literally after the Burns fight that he actually switched and went to a match and boxing in any hand and went back to his old his old trainer in Tony Sims. And he still says to this day that from that point in 2013, he was some of the best 
best moments of his career um, where he was able to to get a nice win streak together uh, following the defeat. And, and he did. I mean, the Daniel Estrada fight as well was a super performance from him. Um, and then that is another one that was described as one of the best in his career. Um, obviously, fought at Wembley Stadium on the undercard of the Fox Groves 2, which I was at as well when he when he beat um, uh, Madama, Maduma, however you want to pronounce his name. And then the Lenaro's fight, I was there as well. I was at the O2 that night as well. Um, and uh, out on the Kevin... Johnson and Joshua uh, undercard, and then uh, I thought for me that Linares fight, I thought that was the best performance in that first half of the fight. I thought he was outstanding. When I was witnessing him live, I thought that was an, a, a great boxing performance from Kevin Mitchell. Um, and then in the end, I mean, he even put Linares down in the fifth, but then Linares, being Linares, you know, he was like far wide, wasn't he? He just got better with age. Eventually, he, he just. Um, he took over the fight and then obviously it was waved off because of the eye but um, yeah he, was, he looked in trouble I mean I was pretty quite I was quite close I wouldn't say ringside but I was quite close and you could see he was in distress um, but you know he, again it was just it, it was funny because Mitchell as, as you already said he, you know what a great boxer he was that never won a world title but in that one fight in Linares seeing the quality and then you see the fade and it's basically a bit like his career just that one fight in particular and, and yeah it's a shame it really is that Kevin couldn't have gone on to win a world title because I think he, he was good enough to definitely win one. So let's talk about the aftermath then for John Murray and the Kevin Mitchell fight was uh, a massive fight for him. He jumped straight back in the ring later on that year to fight for the WBA lightweight title against Brandon Rios which for me was... <sighs> I understood the decision why he took the decision to fight Brandon Rios, but why they ended up getting in the ring on the night after the Brandon Rios being way overweight, which was r- ridiculous, the the amount of weight he was over for this particular fight. So that made the title vacant, which obviously was there for, for, for John Murray to win, basically. That was his chance to win the fight. You know, Brandon Rios was actually the the champion at the time and stripped of the title due to the fact that he couldn't make the weight as a result of not being able to make the weight he then obviously went on and he had to go and get in the ring with John Murray who was he made the weight comfortably let's be honest he made that weight comfortably but Brandon Rios didn't and that was very significant in this particular fight because John Murray really really struggled to to get in the fight that that all action style of his really didn't really make a dint on Brandon Rios, and I, I remember staying up to watch that particular fight and thinking to myself, you know, I understand the decision to, to go for a world title and something that not many, very many fighters get the opportunity to do so, but in the circumstances that it was surrounding, it just felt like all the odds were stacked against him, and he would eventually go on to get stopped in the 11th round of that particular fight, and again, you know, he... he his eye was a problem. Um, it's well documented as, as to what's happened with his eye. And we'll talk about that in a couple of moments. But he lost to Brandon Rios and then come back with two victories. One of them being over John Simpson before making his final professional fight against Anthony Crawler. Getting stopped by Anthony Crawler as well. And again, at this point, his eye again, blown up in that fight. Not great. Really, really sad to be honest with you. Like you, you hear his interviews now, and I've interviewed John myself. And you know, one of the questions I asked him was, you know, how is your eye now? Because there was obviously a lot of reports of issues with it, and he's actually, you know, partially blind in in one of his eyes. So 
that's the result of him being in the ring. That's the result of him deciding to box on, essentially. You know, that damage was then caused and he's got that permanent damage for the rest of his life with his eye. I mean, he obviously is still training kids now. He's still got his gym up in, up in Stockport uh, here in Manchester. But, you know, he always wanted to go back in the ring and fight again, but he just couldn't because, you know, the, the eye was never going to hold up and, you know, he could have been completely blind. He's literally, he explained it to me, he's literally only got vision. In, so it's like tunnel vision. That's what he's got. You know, he doesn't really have any vision out of the side of his eye. It's just literally like tunnel vision. You can only sort of see what's straight in front of him in in that eye, which is a real shame. You know that, that these the, these guys put themselves through all this for for the pleasure of of fans and the pleasure of people like ourselves sitting down and talking about epic fights like Mitchell versus Murray. But for John Murray, he's another guy who I felt like when I was talking about him earlier, running the podcast at the start when I when I first started to see him, he, he was a guy I was certain was going to go on to win a world title and never did no he didn't um, he was unfortunate wasn't it again another one like Mitchell two very very good fighters I mean, Murray was an excellent inside fighter for me he was one of the, the best around at the time on the British scene um, the way he could walk fighters down and, and just just eventually break them down and then and get rid of them um, I thought I thought what he did do and he cut the ring off well uh, but you know it wasn't to be I mean after that Rios fight as well I mean that, that, again I'm with you to that fight so I did silly um, but, you know, it's a world title. You know, he's got an opportunity. Why is he not going to want to do it? Um, I mean, he didn't even mention as well. I mean, he went, again, he went for a difficult time, like Kevin. I mean, the one thing you've got to remember is with, with these two guys in particular, you know, they ain't sort of sitting in their mansions with millions of pounds anymore. These guys fought for the right to get a house, you know, try and get a gym. Um, now, they were both being tipped to be earning millions and millions and millions, which they never did. They never they had doing some great big fights, but neither of them were like millionaires. Um, so you know, it, it just shows you that you know, although they're they're pretty much household names in Britain, uh, especially with Murray up north and, and Mitchell down south. But yet, neither of them have, have been able to earn those millions that, that fighters are earning today. So you know, they've had to struggle, and they both had their problems. I mean, Murray went into a spiral of depression as well after the Ruiz fight, where he. You know, his wife left him, he lost his house, he went on a six-month bender, as he put it. And, and he, he looked like he was, you know, he just went into, he went into an oblivion. He felt alone. And then he had the opportunity to fight Gavin Reeves. It looked like that fight was going to happen. And obviously then he gets a call to say that there was something wrong with the scan, a brain scan, and that fight was put off. In the end, it was it was uh, undying. It was, it was misread, I think, the scan, they said. Uh, but obviously the eye injury, uh, which event, eventually ended his career. So... You know, it just shows you that you got you got two fellas here that we're talking about, and and I think sometimes we do just tend to think that you know these guys are earning millions and millions of pounds. They fought to earn themselves a house. You know, that was basically where they were at. And today they probably would have earned a lot more money, which is unfortunate for them because in today's world they would be big names and they would be both earning a decent crust, I think, rather than unlike what they did um, in, in in the time they fought. But two great fighters could have been world champions. Uh, deserves to be world champions and, and a great legendary night. It certainly was a great legendary night to cover off and I really, really enjoyed talking about this fight. With it being so close to home, with it being a Manchester fighter and a London fighter, with us obviously respectively being from Manchester and London, it was a great one to cover, of course, for that reason and that reason <laughs> predominantly. But not just that, the fact that these were great fighters we watched domestically growing up, you know, over the past 10, 15 years, we've seen these fighters come to the forefront, be involved in great fights, in particular this one. Uh, unfortunately, never 
never going on to win world titles, but never also going on to earn the money that they really should have done. As you rightly said, this fight happened in 2011. We're now in 2019. The landscape of boxing has significantly changed, more so after sort of 2014-15 onwards, where both of them really were at the end of their careers or had already retired. So they weren't really able to capitalise on this new new era of, of, of money in boxing, which is what it's all about with the TV deals and the, the streaming deals and the zones and you know all this type of stuff that's around now that there wasn't there eight years ago so it is a big shame that none of them got to be able to reap the rewards of all their hard earned years of, of graft and sacrifice to, to put on a show for, for fight fans and I did enjoy it I do genuinely enjoy this episode of, of Legendary Nights and I think we will probably get some more of these absolute cracking domestic fights up there later on down the line in the polls because you know another one that was in there was Graham Earl versus Katsidis and there's plenty of other domestic fights which would constitute in my eyes and I know yours a, a legendary night but yeah Johnston what a great episode to have covered <laughs> any final thoughts on the tale of John Murray versus Kevin Mitchell there you know two two good fighters uh, two great fights uh, on the domestic sense and we're unfortunate to not to not win those world titles but you know and, and it's a shame they didn't earn the money I think that's the one thing looking at their careers and sort of digging in sort of trying to pick up information for the fight itself but you know what you do find is that you know it wasn't easy they weren't earning this money and, and it just shows you that's just boxing wasn't it and uh, as you say it's changed so much within the last sort of five years um, that these fighters could be earning the money they're on I mean talking about the lightweight division you got Crawler and you got Luke Campbell fighting uh, Lomachenko and earning, I'm sure, a nice bit of money. When uh, back then these guys were British champions or wherever, or European champions, they were still not earning enough, still in debt. So you know, it, it just shows you that boxing has changed a lot. The landscape of it has changed, especially on the British sense, where our fighters are now able to to earn a bit more money. That being said, there are still plenty of fighters out there today that are not earning the money they probably should be. So, um, you know, it's a learn. You've got to look at the, both their careers and see what, you know, they both had spikes, spikes of, you know, they both had moments where they, they fell into depression. You know, just, you've got to look at the welfare of fighters, not just as of when they're in the ring and not just after the fight, but also the impact it has after their career. So, you know, I think I think it's, it's just a good, good, fight to talk about and um, for people to just, I don't know, to think that it's not as as rosy as, it, as, as it's perceived on social media and all these millions of pound contracts people talk about, you know, that's just the hierarchy and that's the small percentage of the boxing game and back down to the gyms and the local gyms is, is where it all starts and, you know, that's, that's, that's where we need to be investing and putting our time into and trying to keep an eye on the up-and-coming fighters and go and watch their fights and so they can earn a bit of money themselves. But yeah, other than that, great, great you know, excellent, fantastic fight and, and great one to cover. So thank you to all those that voted for this particular legendary night. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of John Murray versus Kevin Mitchell, go and let us know on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod and on Facebook at BTR Boxing Podcast. If you've not already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on Apple Podcasts or on Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, Spotify or Eat Sleep Boxing Repeats YouTube channel. This was an epic domestic night. This was a legendary night. This was the tale of John Murray versus Kevin Mitchell. And right now, Thomas Hearns is an open book for Ray Leonard. Backs up against the ropes. This is one of the most unusual calls by a referee in the history of the sport. The first loss, a tremendous victory. Leonard fighting off the ropes. It happened. It happened. An uppercut by Douglas. Down goes to his hopes and right hand shot. Excellent. Knocks out by Tyson Hill. Slumps to the canvas. The champion struggles to stay on his feet. How do you like it? 
Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.